I had gone to an entrepreneur seminar and it was lunchtime and the speaker of the seminar, he leaned on my table and he said, what would you do if you were bolder? Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Shop Talk Podcast, brought to you by 124GOM. Your co-host, Chris Sulman, as usual, sitting here with my great friend, Mr. John Palmieri. How did you like that delivery? It, it was good. Yeah. yeah. I felt like your timing was a little off, actually. Mine? <laughs> Got it. And I'm going to work on it. Can we do it over? Sure. Yeah. On the next episode. On the next episode. And we... Have a have wicked special guest. Incredible guest today. And I... Dude... Yeah. I'm done complimenting you. Honestly, I'm done complimenting you. Truthfully, this is the last time. Okay. You have done it again. Hmm. You have done it again. I'm sitting here across the computer screen mm-hmm. uh, from Kaylee Auger, if I'm saying that correctly, Kaylee. Kaylee Auger, you got it. Boom, I love that. And she is in Vancouver, Canada, which is amazing. Can you see the beach in the Oh, back? I can see. She's showing off the islands in the back. It's yeah. not virtual. Either. No, that's not a virtual. That's not virtual sunlight hitting your face. And you that's believe me when you see a little kayak go by. <laughs> I do believe it. I do believe it. Um, and, you know, Kaylee is just another one of those people that we'd never heard of, which is what I love about doing this podcast that is out there doing incredible things, mm-hmm. whether that be in her market, whether that be nationally in the Canadian market. And I'm assuming you also work outside of the Canadian market helping salons. Yeah, we are. Our platform is international with the English speaking, and we're hoping to get some French products coming up oh, soon. That's, that's awesome. awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so I'm going to brag on you for a couple of minutes because, you know, so far out of the gate, you've uh, you've shown some promise for the listener that might be interested in doing some things that you've done, like grow a salon, profit, sell it, um, and help others. And um, so you have a you have a business. It's called Passion Profit Project, and you have a, a sort of a a baby in that, which is the Salon Profit Project uh, that we were just talking about, and that's a really cool project because it's an it's an online sort of a format in which some of that you deliver in pre-recorded. Um, uh, lesson plans slash with lessons, and then you lead through a coaching, a once a week coaching deal. So some of it I do on my own, kind of a self study, and then um, you lead the group through it weekly. Which I just think that format is really interesting, and I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into that. Um, but you know, you have been a salon owner, so people know. Uh, I'm guessing you've been in the hair industry for a, a while, and we're going to hear your story in just a minute. Um, but in 2019, you sold your salon. And whenever you, you hear somebody say that, there's almost this, I want to know the rest of the story. And so if you're listening and you're in your car, here's the rest of the story. Um, you owned Hype Hair Studio for over 10 years. You grew it from 200000 a month, I'm going to say, or 200000 a year to over a million, 1.1. You were profiting when you sold it, and you sold it for a profit. And if you're a salon owner who's ever tried to sell a salon, You'll, you'll know how special that is. Mm-hmm. If you're a salon owner who has not tried to sell your salon yet, you're probably delusional about what you think it's worth. <laughs> and, you know, so maybe we'll even bring some light on, you know, some of the financial realities mm-hmm. of owning a salon, some of the financial um, 
ideologies and practices you should put in place and have in mind. And so I, kn I know I'm chomping at the bit. I can see John over there, and he hasn't started tapping his pen yet, but I'm sure it's the next thing that's going to happen after you write that note down. Mm -hmm. So why don't we, instead of listening to me ramble any longer, <laughs> you could just take it away. You want me to start talking? Yeah. Yeah, okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Kaylee, thanks again for being here. We really appreciate it. And thanks for the great view. Uh, yeah, it, it is nice to see the water, isn't it? it? Is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to start here because it's, it's a place we start often, but I think it's one of those things that connects us um, on, our pod, on our podcast, which is how you got into the industry. So, you know, tell us a little bit about that. How did hairdressing come to you? How did you become a hairdresser? How did, how did this whole journey begin? Oh, I love that question. So, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And we definitely have a shared vision and that's to leave the industry better than we found it, to elevate the industry. Um, and that's really my true calling and passion. The, through every stage of my career, um, I remember writing bios and my boss would write, it's her true calling. And I was like, no, I can do more than this. I can do more than this. And now I can truly say I'm in the place in my career where I feel like, yes, this is my true calling. And it all started when I was skipping high school at 15 years old um, to go wash hair in the hair salon. And how that started was, I don't know if anyone remembers the Linda Evangelista Bob in three colors. Yes, we do. Of course. You're kind of wearing, you're sort of wearing a little version of that, by the way. Well, I, I, this is the COVID version because <laughs> I haven't actually made it back in yet. But um, I was obsessed with that haircut in high school. And so I was going to the salon so frequently and I have curly hair. So it was a challenge for the stylist to achieve that smooth, perfect graduated bob. Um, and I was spending so much time there that he said, why don't you come and work? <laughs> and I, he's like, you don't need to finish high school. And I was like, okay, sure. Um, so I started going there washing hair and I ended up coming to work one day and there was a note saying like business out of business and he was gone, never to be seen again. And I had no more job. And so I went out handing resumes through the mall and the only callback I got was another hair salon. So I worked another two years as an apprentice there and that just kickstarted my um, love for the industry. I never knew I would go into this industry. I was into like sports and fitness and swimming competitive. I thought I'd be like some Baywatch lifeguard right. and uh, I ended up doing this and I just loved my career. Mm -hmm. And I loved the, the journey of going from the stylist to the educator, teaching technical, um, being a commission stylist, traveling around the world teaching and then to open my salon. And that was the big dream, right? To open the salon. And I just thought that the career path would continue to go in an upward journey and it didn't. <laughs> and it, much to my surprise, when I opened the salon, I realized how unequipped I was to be an owner. Um, so that kind of fast forwards you through that 20 year journey. <laughs> when you, um when you first entered the industry, you said that you had, you know, you had quit school and you were going and in, in being an apprentice. What was it about the industry that just captured your attention and said, I really want to be part of this? What was, what was special that made you decide I wasn't going to go into, into fitness? I wasn't going to go into health. I wasn't going to be a competitive swimmer. This is what I really want to do. What was, what was it about the industry? I'd say it was the people. Yeah. It, I just, I loved that close connection with the people. And if I miss anything now being more on the business side of it, it's that daily interaction with the clients. Mm -hmm. um, and I always was drawn to fashion and, you know, just, 
I liked how light it was. Sometimes I had clients that were like answering emergency hotlines and I was like, just our perspective on the world is so different just because of what we do. Like mine was so like flowers and sunshine and people and happy conversations. Right. And hers was like hearing really traumatic world events constantly. And I was just always so grateful for this really fun loving career that you could just be like, having fun. I mean, for me, every day was fun. I loved every minute of doing hair. Right. Um, and I was just really drawn to the people. So from the time you um, started off your career as a stylist behind the chair till the time you decided to own, open your own company, how much time had gone by between point A and point B? So 15 to 31. Yeah. 31. I had my birthday, a surprise birthday in my new salon <laughs> right after I bought it Uh-oh. to turn 31. Yeah. <laughs> And that really speaks, you know, there's a, there's so much I'm hearing inside of just that first share that you have. Um, and I was going to go a different way, but the last piece that you said, and I don't know where you're going with mm-hmm. it, but I think I do, which is the patience mm-hmm. and the time commitment that it took you to get from that point A to point B. Um, and one of the things that we were just kind of, uh, John and I just went for a walk before we had this podcast because yeah. we had a little time to kill and there's a park behind here. We were like, oh, let's go circle the park real quick. And we started to talk just about the the difference in um, what feels like a global mentality now of the amount of work that should go into growing your first clientele, mastering your first set of skills, mm-hmm. um, and then even turning into a salon owner. You know, and I mean, a 15-year window of time, I would, I would almost argue to a 20-year-old listening, probably feels like an entire lifetime, and mm-hmm. yet it, it can happen yeah. pretty quick. Yeah. Oh, it goes fast. Um, one of the things that, you know, to touch point, to, to touch base on what Chris just said, you know, we work with lots of different stylists and one of the things that often comes up in conversation is kind of trying to create this work-life balance, right? How much time do I spend working? How much time do I spend on my family? How much time do I spend on doing things that um, are important to me? I I always think that this work-life balance thing is a load of hooey, um, but I'm gonna be a little bit more specific. I think that um, as we talked to somebody on the other day who made a great point, I don't think it's about choices where I'm going to spend more time at work or I'm going to spend more time at home. It's about kind of finding a way to mesh those two things together, right? Where they both add value to each other. Uh, And I think that's where the challenge lies, right? It's not about this week I'm going to spend all my time working so that next week I can spend all my time at home. I've created balance. No, that's not really what we're talking about. for you and and making that journey from being a stylist to becoming a salon owner that was that ever a struggle for you how did you meander through that process of building a clientele because sooner or later your clientele is going to be big enough to maintain your own salon right at least that's the goal mm-hmm. yeah great question um it is this you know inevitable thing everyone's trying to grasp onto that they can't really grasp and i i learned a interesting concept called counterbalance Mm-hmm. And it's actually like, if you want to do something exceptional, it's going to need all of you and all of your commitment and, and buy-in. And it's not by like getting that perfect ratio of like, I work 28.5 hours and now I have my work-life balance because there's going to be sometimes where your personal life demands more of you and sometimes where your work life demands more of you. 
So I love this concept of counterbalance, meaning I just go all in on something to get a certain outcome. And then I go all in on something for me or something for, you know, my family or, uh, but really the idea is like all in till you get it done and you achieve that result. And I often um, speak to that age group of like 20 to 30 and they're kind of the ones that are like work-life balance. And, and like, for me, that age was just like, achieve, 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 because like I started have my, I had my first daughter at 31 as well. And like, it just gets harder to hit your objectives when, once you start having kids. So that 20 to 30 is like the time that you have to really maximize your career to get momentum. And I would never have the lifestyle that I have now, which, you know, is just like, when you don't have to think about money for every choice you make, you can do really cool things and that's work-life balance. Like, and, but if I hadn't really worked aggressively to be the best stylist, to be able to travel internationally teaching, you know, sometimes on planes every weekend, um, really that counterbalance idea of like going all out for something, I would never have been able to go all out um, to live on this Island and, you know, work from home and have a whole bunch of time with my kids. So I think it's really like more of a grand scheme of what that life needs to look like. And I love what you said about like, how do you mesh that together? Yeah. As well as the fact that the time commitment that you're talking about might sound long, but actually in the, in the grand scheme of an entire career, you sprinted for a minute, you know, you sprinted for a minute and I, and both of us can acknowledge the Mm -hmm. week, week, full week in the salon and then on the plane for the weekend and then come home. Um, and it's, it's brutal, but at the same time, you're right. You're setting yourself up. You, I guess you have to identify what do you really want? Mm -hmm. Um, I know you're big. One of the things that you're loving to talk to people now about is about the financial and the operation side of business. But before we go there, yeah. Yeah. I want to ask because you had said this, you know, we started talking, the lead in here was when you opened up your salon, you said you weren't prepared or there was things there that you didn't recognize you were going to have to know or do. Tell us about that. What, what weren't you prepared for? What didn't you know? I wasn't prepared for anything other than doing hair. (laughs) I was, I had gotten really good at doing hair and being able to impress people with the hair that I did and teaching that. And I just thought, I, I just love people. Like I, I rarely come across somebody that rubs me the wrong way or that I have a personality clash with. And I just thought if I open this business and I do everything that my old bosses never did for me, and I just like give them personal growth and I give them education and I do all this, like, it's just going to be a success, right? How can it not be? And that's, and I think that's how most salon owners go into it, right? I've never heard a salon owner be like, this is my million dollar business plan and I'm going to open a salon and get rich. Like I've never heard it. Even though stylists say, you know, these greedy salon owners or whatever their perception is. I've never experienced that myself. Um, and that wasn't my intention. My intention was to have the best salon, the best reputation, do the best hair, have the best team, treat them the best. And um, I didn't even realize it. I call it the honeymoon phase of the business because mm-hmm. I, the first year in business, I didn't even realize it wasn't working. I thought it was working because we were all busy and we were like pumping out awesome hair and people were happy. And so it wasn't until I got pregnant with my daughter and I stepped away from the chair temporarily and bounced my first payroll that it opened my eyes to like, oh, this thing doesn't actually work without all this volume of sales that I'm pumping into it. And thankfully I had like my daughter so early because I could have been doing that for five years or 10 years 
without even realizing it, which is, I think, where a lot of our listeners might be, right? Is that you're so busy behind the chair and it's like this hamster wheel um, that you don't get a step away to really analyze what your business needs are and you don't really know if it's working or not. So you find yourself here, you bounce that first payroll, you know, you go through that shock and then I'm going to assume, and correct me if I'm mistaken, that at this point you say, I need some help. All right, Tom, what did that look like? That looked like, again, you can probably get my personality already. It's a bit extreme going from this counterbalance concept. Um, So I took every course I could take. I took every coach I could get my hands on. um, And I just put the business hat on. And, And what I found was that actually while I was off with my daughter, my business was growing and changing. And so I realized actually that I was more effective, not in the salon and not behind the chair, but I was more effective working on these strategies. Um, And I I just had some amazing coaches and I know people are shy to invest in the coach. And I felt the same way. I remember he sold me the first like five session package and I was like, holy crap, like that's, you know, probably more than the salon was making that month. Um, But he gave me one tip to renegotiate my lease and I was like, you were talking about how fast the time goes. I was like, five years, my lease doesn't expire for five years. That's an eternity away. Why would I renegotiate it now? I don't even know if I want to do this in five years. Right. And he's like, just negotiate it so you have the option. And we put in a 10% cap. And five years later, which felt like you know the flash of lightning, um, my landlord submitted my rent increase and had forgotten about this agreement. And my rent was going to go up significantly more than the deal. And I said, oh, you remember this? deal we made already. Um, And so right there, I like tenfolded my investment in the coach, right? And I think a lot of people like just have this short sighted view of everything. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, with investing in education, with investing in coaching. And so like, you know, it took me five years to realize that I had like multiplied that investment tenfold, not only the all the other things I got out of that relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really important. I, I added it up. Um, and I spent $60,000 in my own education, not my team's education in my own education during that 10 year, um, growth journey of becoming an entrepreneur. So when I opened my business, I identified as a stylist. Mm -hmm. And when I ended my career as a salon owner, I identify as a, as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was a $60,000 journey and a lot of mistakes. (laughs) You mentioned that, um, your business started doing better when you weren't there. Mm-hmm. Drill down a little bit more on that for us because I like how that sounds, right? But give us a little bit more concrete, you know, what happened that allowed your company to grow more while you weren't there? What action did you actually take? Yeah, well, the biggest thing, which is why this is where I start with my clients, is mm-hmm. the learning the financial side. Um, and I, I didn't think I was good at numbers or math or, you know, I skipped out of high school. Um, so I didn't know anything about business financials and learning, you know, the first thing my business coach had me do was look at cash flow projections. And I realized it was kind of fun to kind of see what's going to be in the bank and how does this all work? And right. a lot of concepts that just took me a really long time to understand, um, how to read your PL balance sheet, do cash flow projections. Um, these were things that were really like obscure and out there, but I really took the time to, I, I asked a lot of questions. I called my bookkeeper. I, you, you know, you could ask her, I called her a hundred times every year for the same question. <laughs> and that's the only reason I can teach it now is because I asked her so many times that it's just like ingrained in me now. 
but I didn't, it didn't come naturally to me to do all these like systems and business. And so as I took courses, I would implement things, try things. It was like the science experiment of like, what's going to work. I remember telling my husband, cause he was like, like, you know, why, why are you doing this? And you, you don't need to work. We can move back to France, whatever. And yeah. I was like, I just give me five years. I need to make this work. It was just something I needed to prove to myself that I could make this business operate like a business. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd say the financial piece was huge. And then the operational piece, which I didn't even know what operational was. And, and some of you listening might not know what operation is either. Um, and the, the funny thing is I didn't know, I knew something wasn't working, but I didn't know what to ask for. Yeah. So I couldn't even find the specialist to help me because I didn't know what I was missing. And mm -hmm. what I was missing was structure and systems of like how the operational side works but I didn't know where to go for that. And so as I kind of pieced this blindly together, um, it started to make sense of it. It's your flow chart. It's your, like, think of your business as a, a bunch of chain links, right? So you're at the top, you're the owner and you, you're, you're, you're salon coordinator and then your stylist. And if the message gets broken, if the chain gets broken at any point, the chain is now no good. Right. So unless you're ensuring that each point of the chain is intact, then you're losing something in your company. So that was a big learning curve too, of making sure all of those points were speaking to each other um, from the stylist all the way up to management. So just as I'm listening, I'm listening as the owner that hasn't had the epiphany, the two epiphanies yet that you have had. And I like the way you just kind of gave a 35,000 foot view of what operations is. Oftentimes, you come across the busy stylist, I and mean, we've both been that person, right, that was the busy stylist, identifies, and then there's that next step of understanding a profit and loss statement and the numbers and how that has an effect. I think when you're sitting on the side where you haven't crossed over yet, you don't see what what is the difference of learning that going to do for me. So what is the difference for the owner that hears that it's important, but what do I do with it? Yeah. And so think of it as you're, you're running your business and your business has a language. And right now, if you don't speak your business's language, it can't tell you what it needs. Much like if you have a baby and the baby cries, it's crying because it's hungry or it's crying because it needs a nap. And if you don't start to like identify what those cries are as a mother, you're going to be doing all of the wrong things. And so in your business, your business has a language and the language of business is financial documents. And so, and that's where I come in is I want to help people fall in love with those documents because they're not math, you know, they're not numbers and they're not that scary. And if I can learn them, I know that any of them can learn them. And what's that going to do for you? Well, Think about you're out in this open ocean, okay? Open ocean, and you're in your ship that's a little bit hard to navigate. You know, if it's a big ship, it's even harder to navigate. And you don't know, like we're in uncharted territory. We don't know where we're gonna land. We don't know where we're going. And all I have is my compass and my destination where I wanna end up. And so every time i'm looking at the compass if i'm one degree off of where i charted out that i needed to go i need to correct my course and if i keep getting one degree off one degree off one degree off i might end up somewhere i didn't want to be 
So now that you understand that course correction comes through understanding your financial language of your business, what were the first initial course corrections that you remember needing to make? Um, and what, what were maybe some of the most obvious and some of the most painful ones? Okay, great question. Well, I did, uh, just to tell you, like I did them all backwards um, mm-hmm. out of fear and probably like everybody else. And so I did all the nickels and dimes first. Mm-hmm. So I called Moneris to negotiate our merchant fees. I went through every single item to try to reduce expenses. And, you know, it made some shift, but finally I got to payroll. Mm -hmm. And I realized, like, I have gone, I have, like, used all my negotiating powers that be to reduce every other expense. And my team saw me, like, they saw me trying really hard. Um, And I just, I actually watched the Steve Jobs movie. I remember this. I had gone to an entrepreneur seminar and it was lunchtime. And the speaker of the seminar, he leaned on my table and he said, what would you do if you were bolder? Great question. Yeah. Love that one. Great question. And I was like, "Ah." and I said, reduce my pay scale. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you doing it? Because I'm not bolder. (laughs) (laughs) And then that night I watched Steve Jobs and what occurred to me was that I was too nice. I'm like, why am I trying to be nice? And these people aren't going to have a job because I'm going to have to close my doors. And like Steve job was like a jerk, but he made it happen and he kept their jobs and he like achieved different milestones. And not to say like, all of a sudden I want to aspire to be a jerk, but I just realized my role as the team leader was for the good of the team and that I had to start making tough decisions to guide that ship um, to safe landing. And that if I wasn't making those tough decisions that I would wake up 10 years from that day in the same boat that I was in. And that even if I lost all my team members and restarted that day, 10 years later, I'd be in a better place. And so it just was this epiphany. And so I rewrote my whole compensation structure that week. I called an emergency team meeting, ripped the bandaid off and, and it revolutionized my business. Um, not the advice I would give because there's a lot of steps, you know, that should happen before that. Um, and you know, a lot of, sometimes it doesn't work out the way it does work for me, but, um, it worked for me and I was ready to rebuild, but thankfully my team stuck with me because they saw the work that I put into all of the other areas of the business already. And they knew that I wouldn't have touched it if I had any other choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were really on board and they really worked hard to get their sales up to get the same paycheck back for them. Right. You had, um, you had talked about being bold. That was the question that came up at that seminar. And I think that for a lot of uh, salon owners, the whole finance piece, the whole systems piece, it's not just being bold. I think you kind of said it yourself. There's, there's a fear there, right? Um, why, why are we so afraid to make these changes and, and do the things we need to do to grow our business? Because you just said, knowing that 10 years from now, I'll still have a great company and everybody will have a job and we, we'll be doing well, but we still, we let that fear stop us. Yeah, well, I could speak to my own fears. So um, one, just the, the backlash of the change, you know, the unknown, the unexpected of, are they going to go somewhere else? So I had to get really real with, it's okay if they go somewhere else because Mm -hmm. this is what I need to do for my company. Um, Fear of 
you know, the numbers is speaking specifically to the numbers part. Um, I always, and I, I did a little talk on this too. Like I just had this feeling that I wasn't very smart because when you skip out of high school, you kind of carry around the stigma that you're not very smart. Um, and so, you know, that's, I think a big fear of a lot of people looking at their numbers is they're just like, I'm just not going to get it. Right. And they're, and they don't want to be embarrassed or ask the wrong questions. And, um, I had someone in one of my classes and she had come to my class like three times and she's like, um, I just, I, I just don't know if I get it. And I'm like, I, I think you get it. Like, I'm pretty sure you get it. <laughs> and she's like, her name was Vanessa. She told me I could share this story. And so I'm like, okay, Vanessa, like, here's your P and L profit and loss. Show me, like, let's go through each item. And she's like, okay, this is income. Okay. This is cost of goods. Okay. This is gross profit. This is expenses. And she gets to profit and she's like, oh, okay. I get it. I do get it. So it's like, it's just like all this, we're like, I don't get it. My brain doesn't do math. I don't know how to do that. I wasn't good at school. I, and you like, it's all these stories you're telling them yourself right. and you're like literally short circuiting before you even allowed yourself to learn it. And that's why in my course, um, I'm speaking to salon owners uh, in a language they can understand and yeah. in the language that helped like the aha moment I had, that's the way I'm teaching it. I'm not teaching it as like a business guru from university and all these fancy words. It's really like, here's what you need to know and here's why you need to know it. And here's what you have to do to implement it. And it's really straightforward because when I would go to these weekend seminars and I'd pay for a hotel and I'd pay for a flight and I'd get like three days blasted with all of this stuff, you know, and I'd take in 10% and I'd go home and I'd be like, that was really awesome. I learned a lot, but now what, like, what do I do with all that? And so I was like, okay, I need to like give them bite-sized action pieces mm -hmm. in normal language. Um, and they all get it. And my stylists all get it too. I trained my stylist. We had really like transparent leadership. We did, we handed out the PNL at our monthly meetings and we looked over it as a team and I trained them to read it. And they all understood it. So, you know, I worked with like business consultants, reps with big companies, and they're always sitting back going, the salon owners just don't get numbers. They don't want to know the stylists yeah. don't get it. And they, they're already putting that out there. And I'm like, my team are stylists and they get it because yeah. I taught it in a way they could get it. Mm -hmm. And so if my stylist can get it and my salon owners that take my course can get it, why can't they all get it? It's because they were teaching it in a way that didn't mesh with their personality or the way they learn. A hundred percent. No, they're here. They, they want to hear it from one of their own. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's, uh, you know, when it's coming from somebody who's been through the same thing as you, it, it feels, it's not, it feels less of a judgment and more of a, you know, that's what I love about now salon owners mm -hmm. that have been come successful and done consulting. And I know John, you did consulting in your past. I worked with a lot of owners through my, you know, uh, years, not as a consultant, but, um, and numbers, there's a, there's a stigma with stylists mm -hmm. that they're not interested in numbers. And that's not true. Um, they're super interested sometimes. You can figure out your commission in, in minutes flat. Absolutely. Right? You know, you know, you know what, so they're interested in the right numbers. Yeah. They don't want to be bogged down with homework mm -hmm. that looks like homework. But if, but if you can make it relevant towards them, um, yeah, I think that's like one of the most, um, misconceived and I'll hear people say that salespeople say it. And it's like, no, actually yeah. they don't want to share their numbers with you because you're an asshole. <laughs> and, you know, and because you make them feel like 
you know something they don't know and you don't uh you just have to show them a different way so i you know i mean i i agree and um uh bravo for you know bringing it to people in that way because that's what people want to hear they don't they don't want to be told that this is some secretive thing i mean Mm -hmm. as john says it all the time and um i like the way that's put is that your numbers just tell the story of what your business is doing, where your where your opportunities lie, and where you're uh, maybe falling short. Mm-hmm. And there are a few key areas that, if you ignore them for too long, will sink you. Mm-hmm. And this is whether you're a stylist or a salon owner. You know, right. if you're a stylist and you don't understand retention, or you know, uh, or uh, re- why it's important to get somebody uh, to rebook or make a reservation for the next appointment sooner rather than later. If you don't understand those two things, you could struggle for an entire career. And it was two—I mean, really two simple action plans that you could have put into place to uh, make make that better. And so that's you know that's what numbers, KPIs. Key success factors, key to the Savoir, however you call them, mm. that's what they do. And in, until you learn those things, um, we were ta- we were talking recently about, and maybe we were just saying this in conversation about. Oh, it was Andrew Finkelstein who said this, and it was, and he was, he said it well. Yeah, and and what he said was um, that business is just as creative as hair if you'll allow it to be. And um, I watch, you know, you and we get to talk to people, Kaylee, like you on a regular where what they're doing with their businesses is just as creative as doing a haircut. And you can I can see it coming through the screen. So, yeah, Yeah. Uh, two thoughts. One, uh, what you had talked about before sharing the numbers with your team. Um, that was something I did as in my previous life as a salon owner. We call that open book management. I think if we say that out loud, salon owners freak right? You want me to do what? Um, Explain to us why it's actually a good idea and not so scary. Well, it's a good idea because right now they're making up the numbers Mm -hmm. and they're making up and they're picturing that whatever percentage you're taking, it's going right in your pocket. And we all know that's not true with the statistics that, um, you know, only, do you know the latest up to date? I think the last one was like, only 2% of salons that are even profitable. And of that 2%, um, their, their profit margin, so the amount of profitability they are is two to 6%. So for every $100 that comes in the door, the salon owner is keeping $2 to $6. And out of that $2 to $6, they need to pay for new inventory. They need to replace the hot water tank at Christmas when you run out of water. Um, And so even that two to $6 doesn't go in their pocket. And the reason why they don't know it is the exact reason why you didn't know it because they're cranking money behind the chair. So they feel like a human ATM and they go, well, I know I got enough money, green money in my pocket that I can buy groceries tonight, that I can pay this bill, but they don't, until you come out from behind the chair, right? Like you didn't see it until you came out from behind the chair. Now all of a sudden you realize, oh wow, my business is actually not sustaining or regenerating itself. No, exactly. And so um, I first read um, The Great Game of Business by Jack Stack. Do you know that one? It's so good. Went to his uh, seminar uh, a couple of times. Oh, really? Oh, he's so good. And I just, he articulated in that book the way I wanted to run business. Mm -hmm. And there's not very many things that make me emotional more now that I have kids, but I used to be like, you know, proud that I, not 
too much made me cry. And yeah. like, I remember running on the treadmill, watching the biggest loser and like getting all teary up. You remember yeah. that show? Cause just oh, yeah. like, I just love the transformation. And that's what I love seeing businesses get a, get a hold of their financial side. It's like that transformation that occurs. And when I listened to that audiobook, I was getting like emotional and teared up because I'm like, yes, he gets it. Like that's the way we need to run business. And it's transparency mm -hmm. showing the team how they impact the numbers and then rewarding them in a bonus form of like profit. So if you know, everybody wins together <laughs> and there's such this, society like there's so much misconception between it's like the war it's a, it's a commission tug of war between right. the owner and the stylist there's no team they feel like they're out to get them they're like against each other and that's just not a recipe for success mm -hmm. and so i just wanted to re-educate my team that we are a team and i only win when you win and yep. i'm not hiding anything and this is the number and i told them my goal i told them my goal of what my how I want to get paid and what my commission, um, what I wanted the profit to be. And we all work towards that goal. And it was amazing how they worked towards it too. They monitored each other with color waste. They used up bits of old tubes before they opened up new tubes. Sure. Like when you let them in and you show them how they impact the system, um, they really rise up to that. And uh, I just, I believe in the stylists. I believe in the stylists and I just believe that they're not having the right leadership. And you could speak to that even more with, you know, the size of your salons and sure. running that amount of people that when the leadership's there, the people respond, right? Oh yeah. I mean, some of the, you know, our best leadership moments over the last six months is when the owner of our company gets on um, Facebook live in the morning and just puts out a, Hey, how's everybody doing? Here are some of my thoughts for the day. Because I think with all of the, you know, I keep using the word mayhem. I should probably find a better word. Wildness, craziness, wild wow. westness. Yeah. Wild westness. Can I mayhem say? is actually a good you word. Like mayhem? I'm going to go back to mayhem. Yeah, now. mayhem's good. Um, the mayhem that comes with the pandemic of the coronavirus, whether we've had social unrest, whether we have political discourse that's going on. Let's we'll call it 2020. The 2020 <laughs> ah! mayhem. But there's something there's something to be said about the owner of our company just getting on the phone and just saying, hey, everybody, everything's going to be okay. And I'm here, and what do you need? And we're here to help. Um, that type of leadership really shines through in, in times like this. Um, I want to ask you another question. You know, So you're going through all this process. You've practiced open book management. You've learned from Jack Stack. Now that you help others, what are the reoccurring questions that you hear from people in our industry who – what, what are the questions that keep showing up time after time after time after time when you're working with people now? Yeah, well, the questions, what are the questions? The questions sometimes aren't the right questions. Yeah. And so then we need- Let's, let's ask that. That's what's really the, good. One. What's the yeah. question that's being asked? And then if we could you know, play the game, what's the question they should be asking instead? Yeah. So, I mean, I found in this season, like the questions have been, what's the right PPE? How do I, mm -hmm. da, 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 da. I'm like, let's just overshoot safety and forget the details yeah. and make, like find out what your clients and staff need to be safe and right. move on with it and find out how you're going to pay for it and how you're going to keep your business open and how you're going to um, make your team feel secure mm -hmm. and safe. Yep. 
and cared for. Um, And so, you know, I think a lot of people put a lot of energy into the safety protocol, which, you know, they need to, to some extent, but I think that could have been quicker, um, a quicker conversation. And then if a lot of people will just ask me for some blanket statement advice, and I always say like, I've worked with so many salons and I never give the same advice twice because all my advice is tailored to your financials. So I need to do a financial review. Yeah. And I'm going to be able in two seconds to see where you need to focus your attention. Mm-hmm. And so what I would say to, so what, what I would say the question should be is how do I learn more about understanding what my business is trying to tell me and right. what area do I need to focus my time and energy on should be the question because there's no comparison on Facebook. There's no, like nobody that can give you any piece of advice until they've checked the compass Right. and where you're going and found you the roadmap, mm-hmm. right? That's the way I see it. That's an awesome answer. Um, so if you're listening right now, Kaylee, because I don't think we've shared your information yet. If you're listening, that was a beautiful rant that you just gave. And it's like, if I, I know if I'm driving in my car right now, I'm starting to, you know, I'm, my heart's starting to race. I'm going, give, give me the phone. I got to call this lady or I got to email her. So uh, how would we get in touch with you if we wanted to find out more uh, or if we're one of those people you're describing okay. and needs to be asking some better questions. Yeah, well, you can find me anywhere on social media. So it's Kaylee, C-A-Y-L-E-E, O-J-A-U-G-E. So I'm on Instagram, Facebook. Um, my email is success at KayleeOJ.com. My website's KayleeOJ.com. So if you can spell my name, then you can definitely find me. And um, and yeah, we, and that's one of the products we offer as a one-off product is we do a financial assessment of your company. And so what that entails is you give us your um, last quarter financials, whatever that full, the full months are before closure, or if you've had a full month after we predict a year into the future of your business, we give you written um, feedback and a a one phone call to show you where you can make movements. Cause what I like to focus on is where can I influence my company? So, and that's with the, what are the right questions I need to ask too, right? A lot of people are just operating out of fear or how am I going to survive? How am I going to navigate this? What's going to happen? A lot of people were even trying to figure out how they could open on the right date to not lose government funding or like, they're just spending so much time to try to like loop the system. Right. And it's like, just, if you're going to do this, let's do it. Let's do it. Right. focus on the things that are going to influence growth that are in your control. And so when we look at that, we can find it. Yeah. Beautiful. I know you said you don't like to give the same advice because each salon is different. And and I understand that, but if we're looking at a bigger picture, right, not specific on their particular salon, if you're giving people feedback on action steps to take, and I'm looking for a place to start, where is a good place to start for me? as a salon owner who I just heard everything you had to say and yes, you know, I'm going to look up your website or I'm going to connect with you on Instagram. But if I, before I get there, what type of homework, what type of insight do I need before I get there? Great question. The number one place to start is identify where you are now. Mm-hmm. And how do you do that? Uh, I'm going to use the dirty word inventory. Yeah. <laughs> like we got to know like how much money is in the bank. How much inventory do you have on your shelves? Where is your starting point? Um, and that's you kind of locating yourself out. So back to the ship analogy, like right. you got to locate you first 
And then we need to figure out where you're going. And then that's when we can check the compass to make sure we're on the way. So even if you wanted to sign up for my course, what I'm going to need from you is your latest financial documents. So some people take my entire course to work with their bookkeeper to figure out how to do their documents properly. So then they end up going through the course a second time to really capture everything else that's in there um, because a lot of people don't even have that starting piece. So I would say, you know, work with your bookkeeper, make sure I I see so many, it just like frustrates me because I see so many of my clients and they're paying a bookkeeper monthly and they don't have monthly financials. Sure. Or they do have them, but they store them in a file cabinet someplace never to be seen again. No, but the bookkeeper got lazy and because they haven't been asking for it, the bookkeeper hasn't kept up to date, but they kept up with their billing. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't handle it. Like by the 20th, by August 20th, I want to see your July financial statements Mm -hmm. at the latest because that's only giving you what happened in the past. And then we need to navigate the future based on that. Um, So my number one tip for coming off of this call is like locate yourself so get clarity on where you are how much cash do you have to navigate this season what debts do you have um, how much inventory is on your shelf and that's and communicate with your bookkeeper to get that all on paper and that's going to be a great starting point for you to take it further mm-hmm. is there anything that changes the is there anything that the landscape changes now because of the coronavirus pandemic that is important to this conversation in regards to finance oh it changes everything and that's where the prop that's where this topic is more relevant now than ever before Mm -hmm. um one of the things that i do in in my course that is i haven't seen in other companies other companies are teaching you to your compensation scale they're teaching you to read your past documents Mm -hmm. um we're doing a profit plan for the year Mm -hmm. i think strategies does that actually strategies does a profit plan too Mm -hmm we're doing a profit plan for the year. And so my current clients, what we did is we took their three months pre COVID and we popped them into this profit plan. And then we took the three months closure and then we reopened them doing the exact same thing they did before. Guess how many years to profitability? I don't know. Three years. Wow. So by losing three months, Yep. reopening exactly the same as they closed, which we know is not going to happen for everyone because there's new like space requirements and no double booking, all of these things. So if they did come back the way they did before, right. three years to profitability. So wow. we spent hours analyzing where can we shave off? What do we need to do to turn the ship? Mm-hmm. And we had a plan to be profitable in three months and she was profitable out of the gates her first month reopening. That's awesome. So it's just like you have the power to influence the outcome mm-hmm. when you get ahead of it. Mm-hmm. When you wait, it's just you looking in the rearview mirror, seeing what happened. And that's where you feel regret. That's where you feel like you got in a deeper hole. Um, right now is the time to be looking ahead to see what changes you need to make. Some of my salons went relatively unscathed because maybe their rent, their landlord forgave rent. Um, One of my salons made more money closed. Wow. (laughs) Because they opened up a retail store. They continued with retail sales and they weren't losing money on their stylists. So they were actually more profitable closed. So that's a big eye opener. I, I've had, I, I actually know two specific people that mm-hmm. were like, the shutdown was fantastic for me. I've got more money than I've ever had, you know, oh, wow. and it was, and it wasn't just because of, 
you know, the, 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 the payroll forgiveness that we had here sure. in the United States. I don't know if it was the same there. Um, but um, uh, and then SBAs went out and gave, you know, if, if you were if you were savvy enough and went out and got an SBA loan for um, for minimal. And this could be helpful for somebody because it might still be relevant. Uh, I know people that paid off their buildings if they owned a building in a mm-hmm. salon. They got the SBA loan, they paid it off, and now they're paying it back at you know three percent, uh, which is it took a rent that might have been higher right. to minimal. And so I, I know a couple of people that did things like that, and they're like, "This has been fantastic." Mm-hmm. And um, it's all you know, it's all what it's all with it's all what you do with your time. Mm-hmm. You know, you you could you could have taken a full vacation, drank wine every day, right? right. I know that's what John did during COVID. You could have. Um, I don't even like wine. I know it's yeah. whatever, limoncello, um, which is a joke. Everybody, we've said it multiple times on this podcast. Neither of us. I guess I did go to Florida for a week, but I wanted to spread the coronavirus around <laughs> yeah. a little bit. So I stayed I, home. Mm-hmm. I went down without a mask. I kissed every girl on the beach, and then I came back up here. But but John, however. <laughs> None of them would kiss me. I know it's terrible. I'm sorry. I don't know why I just took it that direction. We can edit, but um, but so nevertheless, so let me know when it's over. But we worked the whole time. <laughs> but some people <laughs> seven o'clock. Okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> but yeah, but you know, it's all what you do with your time. And you could have either complained or you could, you know, get down to business. And isn't it like that true in business all the time, right? Mm-hmm. It's like it's all what, what you decide to focus your time on. Um, I know I see that speaking of time where we've been here for an hour and so we're, we're starting to run out of it. I have a question just on mindset because there were obviously behavioral jumps that you made, but you talked – in the beginning about going from a stylist mindset to I wanted to create beautiful hair to now you you identify as an entrepreneur. And that's really identifying as two different people. Um, talk a little bit about the growth that happened there internally. Um, and was that just driven behave through the behaviors of learning those processes or was there more behind that? Oh, I think it's, I think as a business owner, you either learn and grow or you, you won't make it. And Mm -hmm. so, and that's the greatest gift my business gave me was learning how to communicate, learning how to have tough conversations, learning how to make a decision that was good for the team, even though it wasn't the popular decision. Um, And I shared with you going into the salon, like I, my goal was to make everybody happy. And uh, I didn't like confrontation and I didn't in my family, uh, we would fight part our ways and come back and pretend nothing happened. And that's how I grew up. And so, um, you know, I remember the first time I had to have a head on conversation with a stylist who was very bold and knew what she wanted inside. I was trembling (laughs) because it was so out of my comfort zone and So my business really forced me to learn tools to communicate and learn and seek out um, growth and seek out personal development and leadership. And I don't even recognize myself, um, the person. I'm now the first person to hit a conflict head on and be like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? Like, I'm sensing some body language from you. What's this all about? Like, I'm the first one to get in there and unpack the situation um, because I've got all these tools 
that I learned through my business growth journey. Um, so, you know, apart from it working um, financially, um, not only the profit that I gained from owning a salon, but being able to leverage mortgages and buy real estate and have now investment properties, um, the growth as a person, um, the growth in my confidence, my communication skills, leadership, like all, if you allow your business to mold you and you stop blaming, like COVID didn't kill your business. It's, it's exposed the problems that were already there. Right. So when you start to take the accountability on yourself and realize how powerful you really are, um, you get to grow with that and start to influence the changes in your life. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, what a beautiful little uh, kind of a place that we're leaving this conversation with. I feel like there's much more we could unpack maybe in a round I two at some back. point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, I know I'm pulling away a lot. Um, besides my horrible humor, John, what are you walking away that you'll remember from this? Uh, I just, um, I remember Katie's patience. <laughs> That's what I remember. Um, you know, <clears throat> Katie speaks um language that I love so much. I love the numbers. The numbers for me are all about the story. Um, I love a, a good profit and loss statement. I love a great balance sheet and I love a great cash flow plan. I think one of the things that Kaylee reminds us of are those are the standards that we just, we got to get to know and we've got to stop using the excuse that I don't like the numbers. I'm not good at numbers. I'm not smart enough. When you talk about mindset, I know it's, that's important in, in your teachings. That's the mindset we got to get out of. We are more, we are smarter and stronger than we know. We've just put roadblocks, invisible roadblocks that don't need to be there, and aren't that hard to tear down um, if you put a little bit. I mean, a little, mm -hmm. a little bit. Of, I mean, the story you told about the woman who said, "Well, I don't know how to read my profit and loss statement." Yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. What's this? There's, oh yeah, I guess I do. You know. I think that's the part we need to be reminded of. Mm, that's awesome. Uh, Kaylee, we've got everything from hair cosmetology school students uh, on up to, you know, multiple salon owners that listen to these conversations. Anything you feel like we're leaving on the table or some words you want to leave us with? Well, just say thank you for listening because I know you're all busy. So I hope that there was some words of encouragement there. Um, my biggest thing I would leave you with is don't write off 2020. We're just over halfway through. Um, you know, let's go for the law of polarity. We just had the worst six months in business. Let's now have the best six months in business. And really the law of attraction still works and you can still um, have time to create a new vision for your company, work on what's within your control, focus on the right things and, um, and get support, right? Get other people around you who can lift you up, um, breathe life into you, stay on these podcasts, stay getting inspired, encouraged because the future looks bright. Um, you know, whatever, if we have to hang on a year, we have to hang on two years. The, the salons that sustain this are going to be stronger than they were going into it. I, I believe that with 100% heart and soul um, that if you're, you can make it, but you can only make it with your eyes wide open. So if you, didn't, if you don't know some of these things that we're talking about in your business, invest the time to learn that language um, and you will, you will fall in love with your numbers. I promise you, you will love it once you, once you get past the learning curve. Everything sucks when you learn it. It's just uncomfortable. So we just got to get you over that hurdle and you're going to love what it tells you about your business and yourself. Mm, that's beautiful. Every time we have one of these conversations, I walk away with a little bit more than I knew before I came in and I love that about these podcasts.
Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, we also walk away with a lot of gratitude to our listeners. You know, we, we, we're watching those listens go up. There, we, we hate to ask, but we know there's a few things we need to ask for. I don't hate asking. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Hey, for those of you who haven't heard me ask before, five-star reviews. You got the phone in your hand, it's down by your lap, I don't care where it is, but it's not that far away from you. Five-star reviews, you know you want to do it, you know you love this podcast, share it with the world, because every time you create a five-star review, an angel gets his wings. Did you know that? <laughs> yeah, and while that angel's getting his wings, it helps us move up, um, you know, it helps us get more noticed in the podcast world. Help share the message. And if you're really being served by this, which we hope you are, um, you know, we'd love for you to share that with some other salon owners. The other thing we're going to ask you to do is to follow us on Instagram at 124.go, as well as Facebook. We're going to get more active on our Facebook page. And so if you're a Facebooker, then uh, follow us on Facebook at 124.go. And um, if you're a grammar, please tag us in your stories and we'll do the same uh, in hours. So thanks again for listening, everybody. We will see you on the next episode. Bye.